This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 216. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jim Harmer, and I'm joined by Sandy Duro and Brent Bergherm. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Well, it's almost as if we've spent a lot of time together recently. But I, I miss so. everybody already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this last week was the first Improve Photography Conference. We held it in Phoenix, Arizona, and I... I don't think any of us can describe accurately the experience we had together um, if, unless you were there. It, it was just absolutely awesome. It was, I think it way exceeded my expectations of what it was going to be like. Everybody was just so positive and happy to be there and supportive. I honestly did not hear one complaint all week. And that never happens. That's uh, it pretty was good. so fun. Yeah. I know. I think people are getting sick of me talking about it and posting pictures that I keep finding. You know, like I put in an SD card and I'm like, oh, I forgot about these behind the scenes photos. I got to post them. People are like, okay, enough. We, we know you went to a retreat. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that cool. <laughs> it really was fun. And everybody came back with a bunch of portfolio pieces. That was really cool. Um, I mean, just the, the landscapes were beautiful going out to the superstitions and shooting, but also the portrait opportunities. Erica put together the, the shoot in the Monorchid, a, a photo studio, and we just hung out till like two o'clock in the morning. We had people, well, I think it was still one o'clock in the morning when the, when the last people left and we just shot and hung out and played with different lighting setups and shot all the different models. It was just, it was super fun. And, and we are looking forward to our retreat 2018. We announced that it will be held in Charleston, South Carolina next year. Uh, we're looking at the month of March still. We're still working on a couple details, but uh, tickets will be on sale probably in the next few weeks. So something to look forward to. Well, Sandy, you wanted to talk today about formatting your SD card. Tell us about that. Well, somebody asked me the other day, I think it actually might have been at the retreat, they said, is it bad to format it every time? And I just, I never really gave it much thought. I know that we've talked about it. And when I was a listener of the podcast, I listened to at least one podcast centered around SD cards, but I kind of went like, well, I format it every time. Is that bad? And I started second guessing myself. So I looked it up and I found, you know, mo most uh, websites say that you should format it every time, that it basically cleans out the card. Um, but I just wanted to get your guys' take on it and see if you heard anything of why you shouldn't format it every time. I think you should format it every time uh, and do it in camera because it sets it back to what the camera wants and what the camera is looking for. And whenever I hear of people having corrupted data uh, on their cards, it's always because they format it in computer and or otherwise just, you know, deleted it. Uh, like drag drag the files either to the trash can or the recycle bin and then they empty it that way and actually not reformatting it. Um, but when you format it in camera, uh, I've never heard of uh, the, anyone in my circles anyway having problems with any data corruption. There's no, there's no risk of like wearing out your card or anything though by doing no. that. No, I don't think so. Uh, even if you were to do the, what they call the low-level formatting, because the standard formatting just erases the file allocation table, which is like the map of telling the computer where all the other files are. And when you do the low-level formatting, it does go through and rewrite everything to zero or ones or whatever. Uh, but even doing that, wouldn't I wouldn't see that being a problem. Right on. Yeah, so I, I definitely think you, you should be formatting each time you, you put the card back in the camera. One thing that can cause problems is if you do 
accidentally or on purpose make a change to anything on the card while it's still in the computer. So I take my card out of the computer, out of the camera, I put it in my laptop, I download the files to Lightroom, and then I see, oh, you know what? I really should have change the file name on on this file and you change a file name or something as soon as your computer is writing to the card then it can have a problem that the computer won't that the camera won't be able to read it now because the the computer has taken over and started writing to it the way that it wants to write to it so on them on the mac at least the way that the problem is the mac file system is different than the Windows file system, which is much more open and much more common that we're gonna see on devices like cameras. So when you write, if you make a change to your card while it's in the camera, you're probably, you may need to, not every time, but sometimes if you put it back in the camera and it's like, and it can't do anything, <laughs> then, especially if it makes that sound, then you know something's right. really <laughs> wrong. something <laughs> really wrong. <laughs> you messed up. <laughs> anyway, if you just put it back in the, in the computer and you go to disk utility on the Mac to, to erase the card, you'll just want to make sure you choose your file system. You're going to... Uh, Gosh, now that now that I'm saying that I is why I can't think of it. I've got to go MS to it DOS on the fat. computer. Yeah, uh, you're going to need to go to MS-DOS FAT. Oh, yeah. That's the mm. one you're going to need to choose in order to write it the correct way. And then when you put it back in the camera, now you can format it again in the camera again and things will work and perfectly. And on, on Nikons, there's two format buttons, um, yeah. two reds. And if you hold them down at the same time, it'll, it'll flash on the screen on top, FOR, and then you push it again and it'll format the card. So it's really really fast and easy. Is mm-hmm. there something like that on Canon that we know of, Brent? Uh, no, the to, the way you get it to the uh, key, on the Canon system, you just go through the menu system and uh, at least on the 5D Mark IV, it's under the uh, yellow wrench item. So there's lots of different color coded items. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find it says uh, format card and then it has uh, low level formatting or I think that's what it calls it or just standard. And I always personally just do the standard. Yeah, I don't gotcha. think they have a button combination to do it on no. Canon. Not that so if I you're shooting Nikon, look for those buttons because uh, I got, I figured it out. I didn't, somebody told me right after I got my Nikon, but I probably wouldn't have even noticed to this day if they wouldn't have showed me. <laughs> that yeah. almost makes me think of the film cameras when you had the, the rewind button for your film and you accidentally hit it. It's like, no, I just <laughs> right? my roll of film. <laughs> <hated> the noise. <laughs> that stinks. I would hate to accidentally hit those two buttons. <laughs> Well, cool. That, that's a helpful reminder. Thanks, Sandy. And Brent, you did a class at the retreat, which was very, very full um, about camera yeah. cleaning. And you are the guy to go to for this because you own a lens rental company, right? So you're mm-hmm. obviously sending out a lot of gear and getting it back and you want to get and it I'm clean for the customer. So yep. everybody has their own process for doing this. What process have you evolved to? What's What works best for you? Yeah, so just to kind of breeze over it, um, and I can post uh, a PDF uh, that has the tools. I can post that in the uh, podcast uh, Facebook group, so you can look for it there. But also, and we'll I can also get it in the show notes. Yeah, put a link in the show notes. Uh, so basically, just want to look at starting out general. I have a nice, just general terry cloth type item, although it's I, I technically use a um, a very uh, lush uh, microfiber cloth. And you can get those anywhere. Get them at Walmart, whatever. That's just for the outside of the body. You know, just general cleaning. I like to just get off all the loose dirt just before I, you know, take the lens off and start getting nitty gritty because 
all that stuff can just fall right into the chamber, the the sensor chamber, and we won't we don't want to do that. So, so you're just, cleaning just like around the lens, just the camera itself. Yeah, just just the body, the 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 barrel of the lens, the body of the camera, just just lightly dusting it if it's just a little bit. You know, if it's caked with mud, you got other problems. But I'm just uh, kind of like a first level defense, uh, okay. getting rid of all the extra stuff. Uh, and then I'll pay attention to the front element of the lens and the rear element of the lens and be you know a lot more careful there because, of course, we don't want to scratch it. And so I start off on those. I need to have a nice soft brush where I can get away all the dust particulate type items. And so for that, I use a camel hair brush specifically. Those are available Amazon or B&H or wherever. Camel hair? That's exotic. Camel hair. Yeah. Nice, because like horse hair, nah, that wouldn't work. It has right. to be camel no. hair if no, you want your exactly camera right. really clean. That's exactly right. That's awesome. Actually, there's lots of other uh, brushes you could use, like the the tool I'm really Emo, a fan of. Called. All kinds of things. Oh, feathers. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know that I would do a feather. Um, How many animals are dying so we can clean our kids? Yeah, so I need oh, exotic tiger hair. It's just a haircut. It's just a haircut. No, I'm sorry. But this one Whale I've skin. had, <clears throat> I've had at least... Oh my goodness. We can- <laughs> I'm trying to think of another exotic animal. <laughs> All right. So this one I've had at least, I would say 15 years because I used this to clean my slides when I shot film, uh, but it's still working perfectly. So not many camels have died. Uh, <laughs> or got haircuts. <laughs> or, or got haircuts. So I just use that for for just getting the the sand or the other you know physical particulates that I can uh, get off. And then a nice, really smooth uh, microfiber cloth, you know, lens cloths, whatever. Uh, really good for getting some smudges off after you've done your your initial brushing with the with the brush you can get those also at walmart you don't have to get them at a photo store but the nice thing about buying them at a camera store or amazon you have a grand variety of sizes and so i've got some that are really big and i've got some that are nice and small it just depends on what you want them for uh one of the best things i like is a item called the lens pen and that is great for smudges on your camera that just can't come off otherwise uh and sometimes I'll even just skip when it's just a little dot or something like that, like maybe a, a water spot. I will uh, forego the cloth itself and just go straight to lens pen. Yeah. And the only thing I might add on that is I've bought a couple of those cheap ones, uh, the lens pen knockoffs, and they did not oh, work yeah. well for me. So nope. be sure to check a, some real reviews. Find one that has a lot of reviews and, and get a good you, one. You betcha. Uh, something like the lens pen, uh, it's not something I'm going to cheap out on and they're not i mean they're less than 10 bucks uh, a piece so they're not that expensive uh if you are going to use the cloth get a cleaning solution and spray on the cloth not the lens um and get one that's made for optics basically it's going to be a nice mild solution and it won't destroy your uh, nice expensive lens coatings that are on uh, the lens elements themselves when you go inside the camera, uh, before you even lift up the mirror and put it in, in sensor cleaning mode, I like to take my bulb blower, and that's just a little uh, rubber thing that you can grab, and you squeeze it real quick, and it, the one I'm looking at is shaped like a rocket. You can also just search for rocket blower, and so that'll just help get some of the loose material out of the chamber, and then when you uh, go into sensor cleaning mode, it will lift up the mirror out of the way. It will open the shutter and then you have full access to your uh, sensor. Now, 
on mirrorless cameras like Jim on your Fuji, you don't have that mirror and you don't have to worry about all that. You just take off the camera and your sensor is just exposed mm -hmm. right there. And that can, when you're cleaning, that can kind of be a blessing because the sensor is so easy to get to. Yep. And it can also be kind of, I would think, um, if I were to shoot Fuji regularly, I'd, I would be really careful when I'm changing lenses because I just don't want something to fall in there. It's just really close to the to the surface the sensor is. Yeah, I haven't had I haven't had you know significant problems like any problems with it like getting scratched no. or anything just being exposed. Right. But I will say that I clean my camera. All, I need. I should say I don't clean my camera as uh -huh. often, but I need to clean my sensor yeah. much more often <laughs> sure. now that I yeah. shoot mirrorless. They get dusty, dustier much faster than a DSLR oh, yeah. does. Much no faster. Doubt. No wouldn't doubt. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you both agree that most of the time you just need to do the blower though? I mean, for me, I just have little specks of dust, and maybe it's just because I live in Las Vegas, and they just come right off. Yeah, it, sometimes they can get cooked on there, and so that's where you blow it out first and do what you can to just use that that's your first item so i've uh, actually had the opposite experience sandy i'm interested <clears throat> to hear you say that you i don't even use my blower anymore because it, it never does anything like yeah. i always i always you know i'll see spots and so i'll blow 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 nothing they're all still there and so i've got to move mm -hmm. on to step two anyway and and wipe with the peck pad it but you feel like because it, it gets things off yeah, well, it might just be because I live in, or it must rather be because I live in Las Vegas and dust is literally everywhere here. Yeah, that's so true. I think it's, yeah, it's just dry, really fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, good, good, lesson good learned, other. move to Vegas. Right. That's right. Make it makes your camera cleaning easier. <laughs> so, there's a device called a sensor loop. I like using that. It's kind of expensive, loop but I like or using lube. that. Loop, L-O-U-P-E. Okay. And so I like using that because it magnifies your sensor and you can look at it. And it usually has lights on the inside, oh, too. That's, you can cool. look at that's awesome. And so I had two of those at the retreat and people were looking in there and they're like, ah, what am I looking at? I was like, well, do you see anything white or like a hair or anything else like so that? So let me describe this to those that can't that that uh, don't know what this is like. I hadn't seen one before. This is cool. It's 20 bucks on wow. Amazon. I think me and Sandy have already made our order. I uh, yes. <laughs> I'm spending uh, more of your it's money. This, it goes over where the lens would normally and it's just a big magnifying glass that has LED lights shining into it so you can see the dust in there. This is cool, Brent. I haven't seen no, these before. Awesome. Yeah, they're great. Uh, since you shoot mirrorless, I would say make sure you get one that's sized for the mirrorless because uh, normally these are sized for the DSLRs. And so the focus is perfect when you set it on the lens mount. The focus is perfect for that uh, mm. with your, your, cool. your, flange, your flange on your Fuji is going to be a little bit narrower. So you want to check that out. <laughs> All right. I like I this. About it. <laughs> the most valuable piece of equipment that I've found is an item called the Sensor Clear. And that's K-L-E-A-R for Sensor Clear. It's made by LensPen. Basically, it's a lens pen for your sensor. Uh, that's actually not the next one I'll do. I'll usually use uh, first the Arctic Butterfly, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll. It's a little brush that is mm -hmm. like the camel hair brush, but <laughs> way more expensive. And then I'll brush uh, that on the sensor to remove those pieces of dust that are just being cantankerous and won't get off with the blower. And so if if for some reason those don't uh, get off because of the um, because of the uh, they're sticking on there, I'll use the sensor clear and I'll just get in there. It's a tiny little lens pen. You just go back and forth really quick and it just 
gets those uh, things right off, and it's pretty sweet. Okay. This and then is cool. the last, and then the last thing I, I have used this thing. There's an there's an item called Dust Aid, and it comes. Uh, it's like a little silicone stamp uh, that you can literally put on the sensor, and you just stamp it down, lift it up. As long as you're really gentle, you're okay. I've had okay luck with that, but it's not something that I'm like totally sold on. Uh, the last item you mentioned, uh, I think it was the pec pads that you mentioned, Jim, mm-hmm. uh, that you use. Uh, I use the items by Visible Dust. So they have some swabs that are the same idea as the pec pads, uh, but they sell it in a pack of 12 or a pack of 50. And these are the little mops that you would use to uh, clean up your sensor. And they have them sized differently for full frames or crop sensor cameras. And then you um, also have a, a liquid solution that goes along with that. And so read up on those different uh, items that are available. I usually get the green handled uh, swabs and the V-Dust Plus is what I usually get. And so those are the most versatile uh, items. And um, one thing on the Arctic Butterfly that I've noticed, especially with Nikon cameras, stay away from the edges of the sensor because there's some oil or other residue there that is easy for the Arctic butterfly brushes to pick up and brush across. We had that happen in Phoenix with several people. And so it's just a pain to remove those smears, but we didn't have anyone scratch. All the people were very nervous about digging into the camera. We had no one have scratches and uh, had a fairly successful camera cleaning clinic there in Phoenix. That was pretty sweet. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, we will, we will continue right to the doodads of the week and then a special feature for you. But before we do that, we want to take a second and thank Audible for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let me just be clear. Audible is the best company on the planet. I am (laughs) such an addict to Audible. I was just talking to you guys before we started recording. I have a real problem with being addicted to books, but I never actually sit down and read. I love uh, listening to books as while I'm driving, while I'm exercising. I go to a personal trainer twice a week and it's the only thing that can keep my mind off the pain is (laughs) listening to a good book while I'm doing it. I love Audible. Right now, the book that I'm reading is called Love Works by Joel Manby. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Another that I can recommend is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss about negotiating. He was like an FBI guy, an FBI like kidnapping terrorist negotiator and he teaches you the the negotiating tactics that he learned in negotiating with with kidnappers and how you can use them in business and stuff and it was really cool i really enjoyed it it's called never split the difference by chris voss um there are so many cool uh, so many cool books on audible you know they have apps for the iphone ipad ipad android windows phone you name it they have an app really easy to have all your books i have years worth of books all on one app and i just need to download them when i need it so it doesn't take up much space on my phone <laughs> if you are a commuter or a traveler uh, this is a great a great app for you travel delays wasting your time buckle up and settle in with with new ideas while you take off you can't make more time but you can make the most out of it turn your travel time or your commute time into something more with a free trial at audible go to audible.com improve to start now and we thank them for their support of the podcast well, I mentioned that we're going to dive straight into the doodads of the week. So we'll do that and then I will explain why at the end. 
So, uh, Brent, you, you just gave us like 20 different doodads. What's your yeah, official pick here? <laughs> my official pick is what I said is my most used item, my go-to item when I'm cleaning sensors, and that is the sensor clear. And uh, the really neat thing about that is, too, I, I didn't mention it before, is that it has a little bit of an articulating uh, head, so it can angle just a little bit, makes it super convenient for reaching down into that deep chamber, and you can just... Uh, scoochy it back and forth and clean off those pesky little dust spots that are just too um, too caked on there to get off otherwise. So you get the you get the dust onto this little it's like a little pin that articulates at the yeah. end. How yeah. do you get the dust off that? So you put the cap on and then you twist it and then it basically recharges whatever that magic pad is on the tip it cleans it and recharges it and then you're good to go again so cool. you just go and back and forth really quick and then you know kind of take a look with your sensor loop and then you put it back on you twist the twist the cap and you go back at it one thing especially when they're brand new the sensor clear can leave easily its own little dust behind mm. and that's what arctic butterfly comes back and just <laughs> so easily puts that away <laughs> Who but, made all these brand names? You're killing me over here, Brent. <laughs> I've used the I've used the cheap ones, and I hate them. The I'm killing you, but the Arctic Butterfly is is the only one I've used that's really good. All right, very good. Thank you very much, Brent. All right, Sandy, what do you got? Well, I have um, a doodad and a do random. Nice. Um, so my doodad is the Viltrox LED panel. During the retreat, we did a little food photography um, hands-on workshop. And this LED panel is 40 bucks. And you can actually change the color temperature on it. Oh, so right wow. now I'm using it. It's a constant light. And I'm using it in the lowest setting that matches the overhead bulbs that are very yellow. So it doesn't counteract with each other. Wow, now that is impressive. There are certainly a lot of LED panels that do this, but usually they're hundreds of dollars to get the ones right? that you have that kind of control over. Yeah. What is it? How is it powered? It's it's just got a battery. It's just a rechargeable battery. Uh, so you got to... Uh, oh, see, I forgot about your hatred chargers. of new batteries. I'll have to figure ah. it And it is one that I haven't used before, so I think it is uh, a unique one. So sorry, Jim. Ah, man. <laughs> I just wish everything in the world was AA or AAA because I, I have so many different adapters for things. I mean, or if it was at least USB charging. Oh. Well, the good news is that the battery lasts a really long time. I charged it before I left for the retreat and it and it lasted through two classes and oh that's pretty so. cool that's pretty good no it, it and it's really bright too it, i love it my do my do random is for the lady photographers um i got a necklace as a gift from my husband um he got it just off of etsy i guess i don't know if he just googled camera photographer or camera necklaces um this etsy shop is anishka's jewelry it's 21 bucks and it's a gold camera and i get so many compliments on it so i had to share it very nice. Cool. And Brent, you had to do random? Yeah, we had a, a question pop up in the uh, in, in about traveling with uh, batteries. And so I uh, recommend this battery caddy. Basically, you slip your you slip your double uh, A's or triple A's, get the right size, of course, and it will hold your batteries as uh, be, being safe while you're flying. So uh, the airlines don't like you just to have loose batteries in your in your baggage. Uh, in your carry-on baggage. And yeah, so I, I just to add on to that, I actually did some research in the FAA rules, 
for what it takes to bring batteries on. And it actually yeah. does say that each battery must be separately padded. And so this would fit that, which I mean, yeah. it's not like somebody's going to just tear through your your carry on just because you have double A's in there. Right. But like if you have a bunch of drone batteries and stuff and they open up your bag, you know, it's it raises suspicion, even though you can actually have several of the huge drone right. batteries and camera batteries without violating the rule. But it may raise suspicion and then they could bring out something like ah, they're not separately padded. And so that's a good solution. Right. And then I just, when I'm going down to Phoenix, I actually didn't have one of those. So I just used gaffer's tape to actually tape them and pump them together and then put it over one of the contacts. And then I figured that was going to be fine. Cool. And yet another use for gaffer's tape. You betcha. <laughs> well, my doodad of the week is what we are about to to uh, to pleasure you with, which is oh. episode two of the Latitude podcast. Awesome. So Brent Bergherm and Brian McGuckin have been hard at work on a new travel photography podcast. It just launched. It's available wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can also get it. So open up your iPhone, go to the podcast app and search for Latitude. That's one T each time. Latitude. Right. Uh, I always have to wonder, is it L-A-T-T? No, it's just L-A-T-I-T-U-D-E. Nope. <laughs> uh, search Latitude and you'll see the podcast. It's a green and blue kind of logo. Uh, we also have it on, on Google Play and it should be on Stitcher very shortly and things like that. So go check it out. And give it several episodes. Give it, a, get a, give it a listen for quite a while. We have a lot of podcasts for you to enjoy from portrait session to this show improve photography to to tripod and photo taco and latitude uh you know some people have a commute every day and you're going to want all that content and some people don't you'll just listen to one or two of our shows that you identify with the most and that's totally fine but everybody should at least go give it a listen for several episodes i've really enjoyed it i'm i'm excited by travel i really enjoy it so we're going to go ahead and play episode two now so that you can get a get a flavor for what it's like with with brent and brian and then be sure to go on your podcatcher and subscribe to latitude the travel photography podcast thank you sandy and brent it was a pleasure talking with you guys and we'll see you in another seven days bye-bye Ladies and gentlemen, now boarding for Latitude, the travel photography podcast on the Improve Photography Network. And now your hosts, Brian McGuckin and Brent Bergherm. Welcome back to Latitude, the travel photography podcast. I'm Brian McGuckin, and with me is... Brent Bergherm. How's it going, Brian? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. Thank you. You know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about the listeners today. Because they're either one of two, either this is their first time listening to this new podcast, or they listen to the first one and they're patient enough to come back and listen to part two or number two for us. And that's so awesome. And we really appreciate all the listeners out there. And thank you for returning and thank you for tuning in. Mm -hmm. So today uh, on our Facebook page, which let's just jump over to that for a second. If you haven't yet... Uh, we do have a Facebook page for Latitude, the travel photography podcast. Uh, if you jump on there and join us, we already have, what, 170-something members on that page. And that's a great spot for the community to come together and to ask questions, um, ask questions from us as well, and post any questions that you'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast, which is 
sort of what we're focusing on today. We just wanted to jump into a lot of the questions that you guys had as listeners. So join us on the Facebook page to ask us any questions that you might have. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also going to be, if we have something that we're referencing, uh, we'll be sharing it right there on that Facebook group so you can uh, see what we're referencing. And uh, maybe it's just pictures that we want to share or that we've talked about, but you'll be able to get all the details there as well as the show notes uh, as those are posted too. Mm -hmm. Now, the one thing about this that is like I love, but it's also kind of a weakness of mine is there are people from all over the world that are listening and that are on Facebook and posting these questions. And the hardest part is trying to pronounce their names right. So that can be a challenge. It it can be. It can be. But I think uh, most of the questions today, I think that we have from our listeners are are fairly good. Uh, The first one, I'm going to ask this one kind of towards you, Brent. This question is from Hans Henrik Anderson. He was asking about combining business trips with photographic interest. Uh, You know, not everyone just gets to travel just for photography. A lot of time it's for a real job that they may have. I say real in quotes. Um, That's right. (laughs) But also they want to take advantage of that time and get some epic shots. So he wanted to know what are some tips on what to do and how to get effective photos and dealing with just what we have on a tight schedule. So Brent, what's your approach to, to that? Well, I'll do this a lot, uh, whether it's I'm going to a conference or some other uh, business-related type item. Uh, maybe I'll be there for a couple of days in town, and I'll be looking at the schedule and just seeing, you know, where can I squeeze some time away? You know, do, are they having a long lunch? Are they starting late one day, uh, maybe ending early another day or whatever the case is? But another thing is, um, besides just studying the schedule... Probably there's a, a inordinate amount of uh, nighttime photographs in some of my some of my locations, and that's something that you know the conference almost never meets at the nighttime. So I'll be out there shooting in the evening. You know I've done this let's say at um, in Las Vegas where that's like you know the the main place for all sorts of different conferences and whatnot, and they have a fantastic thing up and down the strip where you can go from one hotel to the next and there's just so many uh, things that you can photograph, uh, the Bellagio being one of my favorites. So uh, lots of nighttime shots uh, for sure coming out on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that one of the crucial parts of this is the planning, you know, planning ahead, knowing, okay, what's in the area? Yeah, where can back. I see it? How far is it? How am I going to get there? Yep. Um, you know, can I walk? Do I have to take public transportation? Exactly. Sometimes I'll rent a car. In fact, there was one time I went to Memphis for a for a uh, conference, and it was so expensive at the hotel. I was like, I just can't do that to to the school I work at. So uh, I actually rented a car and stayed uh, about ten or fifteen miles away. But that also gave me tons of flexibility, so that I could then, you know, go to these other locations and grab a quick snap uh, here and there as well. So it just depends on the nature of of what you're covering, where you're at. Uh, is public transport really good, uh, or is it not? You know, what the costs are. So it, it's a balance, and it's hard to say this is exactly what works because there's lots of different options to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing that I like to do is just kind of look at, you know, kind of make a map of where things are 
and kind of what I want to see. I'll look at other people's photos. I know, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times people go on uh, 500 PX to kind of see some shots from that area. And one thing that I really enjoy if I'm going to Europe is uh, Rick Steves. You know, he's kind of a kind of a cheesy guy in a way, but I, I I love him because he's so helpful when it comes to planning. And what I love is he's got these little like audio walking tours that you can download. And I'm sure there's other ones as well that are out there. But um, like, for example, a few years ago, I flew into Munich and I put on my earbuds and I had like a 30 minute walking tour around Munich. And it was awesome because not only do you get to see kind of the main sites in that area, but you also get to learn the history about it and you get to learn a little bit about the culture. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably an aspect of travel that you enjoy is just the, the different cultures and the different history that's out there. So, you know, doing some type of quick tour like that to familiarize yourself with it and just help with your game plan. I just think that's helpful. Yeah. And that's on a convenient app on your phone, isn't it? So you can just pick and choose which one that you're going to do or is, are you downloading this tour, this audio tour another way? No. Yeah. It's just from the app. I just awesome. download, I've got his app and I'll just download it and you know, you can pick different ones that you want and just go from there. Yeah, that's great. I, that's a, a really good idea. Cause I, whether it's his, um, his guidebooks or his, you know, audio tour type thing, uh, definitely gives you a nice quick snippet. It is not intended to be very, uh, broad and, you know, tells you everything you want to know about that area, it really gives you the highlights, and India's pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. gets, you, gets you where you want to be really quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, another question that we had uh, was a question from Katherine Johnson, and she had a, a few good ones, but since we're kind of on the topic of, you know, when you're, when you're traveling around and getting the shots, there's a question that she mentioned that I have come across the problem a lot of times, and it deals with tripods and how in a lot of places you're not allowed to use a tripod. Uh, and it's not just, you know, in other countries. And a lot of times you'll see that in churches in other countries. Mm -hmm. But we have that here. I remember being, I think it was probably like eight years ago in New York where the Apple store was. And you weren't allowed to set your tripod up on the main sidewalk where the Apple store was. You know, <laughs> you had to go down onto the public sidewalk and, and set it there. So, you know, the hard part is a lot of times in these churches or places that the lighting is really tricky. So what are some tips? What are some things that you've done, uh, Brent, to kind of get those shots that you need when it comes to that without being able to use a tripod? These are, these can be really pains sometimes because you have a certain vision in mind and you can't get it without putting your camera in that exact spot. So it also forces you, you know, how can I be creative? How can I still, uh, showcase my vision, even though I can't put it in this exact spot that I've been thinking about. So it does push you in that direction, which is nice. But in particular, when I'm in a church, churches always have pews, and if it's an older church, pillars as well. And so bracing the camera super as sturdy as possible uh, against a pew, you know, I'll hold it with my, both hands and just clamp that thing down. I will also then usually put on the uh, both the mirror lockup and the two-second delay. Uh, on the Canon system, anyway, what that does is it will pop the mirror up, it'll wait two seconds, and then it'll take the picture. And by doing that, you're going to reduce the chance of either shake from your finger actually depressing the button itself 
uh, or of course that mirror flapping up, depending on how long, of course, your your shutter speed is. Uh, I I've gotten down to about a tenth of a second, maybe even half a second, uh, using that method. Huh, that's something I've never thought of before. I usually go the route of like shooting more of a in a burst mode. To okay, where I'll I've just, done that too. You know, get three to five shots and assume maybe my first one and my last one was a little bit shaky, but hopefully one in between there that I've nailed. Um, so you know, sometimes when you're shooting in the burst mode like that, you know, the faster shutter speed as well. You know, you just have to surrender and uh, and raise the ISO on your shots. Right. The, in that scenario, and I've certainly done that too, my shutter speeds are a little bit faster, probably in the neighborhood, maybe a quarter of a second to 15th of a second, somewhere in there. But if you're getting down to half a second, there's just, you know, image stabilization just isn't, it only does so much. So mm-hmm. you really need to brace it against something else. And hopefully you can still find that composition that works well uh, when you're having to brace it against something like that. And I think one of the most obvious way or obvious ways to brace something is just against your body with your elbows. You know, they they talk about holding your camera really still and kind of having your elbows in towards your ribs and breathing, you know, breathe in and then maybe hold your breath. I think don't like snipers do that when they're shooting. I think I saw that in a movie. You know, if it's in the movie, it's got to be true. Right. Um, Right. Another thing, though, that I've noticed, and I would say the snipers are probably doing this as well. That is when you're doing that, if you're holding your elbows too tightly against you, your heartbeat can be a problem. And (laughs) so you want to either shoot between heartbeats or if you can feel that, or just not bring it so tight that uh, your arm is, you know, that close to your heart where it's going to cause a little bit of a jiggle. Uh, I'd never personally have thought myself, oh, I need to be concerned about my heartbeat. But I know some people have, and it's um, just something to throw out there, you know, for whatever it's worth. I've never heard that before. And if you listen to our last episode, the heartbeat's really going to be an issue when you're at like the top of some dome because of all the steps you're climbing oh, to get up there. Oh, yeah. Climbing yeah. this and that, and then boom, boom, your blood is just flowing like crazy. Yeah, that can be an issue. Give yourself a few minutes to collect yourself, rest a little bit, and then get at it if you're in those types of situations. Now, there is one other tip that I've heard about, but I have not attempted myself. And it's kind of like a a shoestring monopod or shoestring tripod even um, to where what you can do is you can supposedly tie a string onto your shoe, the string of your shoe, and then tie a string onto like the bottom of the camera. Just And then you kind of pull tightly just to increase that tension a little bit. And supposedly that tension will kind of sort of help you hold that camera a little bit more still. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could kind of have a longer string and make it in a triangle shape. And then uh, your right foot and left foot would cover up the string on the bottom. And then they'd come up towards the top back onto the camera. Have you ever tried that before? I've not tried that, but I've actually seen devices. They're made out of like a thin half inch wide webbing or something like that. They've got a little loop on the bottom that you can put your foot into, and then it's got the quarter 20 tripod screw on the bottom so you can attach it to your camera, and then you just kind of give it that tension like you're saying. Uh, I would probably go with something a little more, you know, homemade, like you're saying, a shoestring type thing uh, and the like, but, you know, something like that, that can certainly, I can see that working out pretty well. It's almost the opposite of a monopod, where the monopod is taking the weight off you know, here you're lifting extra and providing that extra tension on a temporary basis just to give yourself a little bit more stability. 
And I know uh, Connor, who's one of our podcasters as well, over there with Portrait Sessions, uh, he uh, commented on the Facebook, the Latitude Facebook page about also maybe using the Platypod system, which you bet. Ha- d- have you used that very much? No, it looks really interesting. It also looks a little expensive, uh, but I'm sure it's a finely machined piece of material and uh, it's just not something I've pulled the trigger on yet, but definitely that's an interesting thing I would be looking at. Now, how how expensive are they? Uh, I think no, it's like fifty bucks. But it's the kind of thing I look at it, and I the the do it yourselfer in me says I could go to Home Depot and spend twelve bucks uh, on materials. It certainly will not be anywhere near as nice as what they're what they're giving you. Um, So that's just once I get over that little hump, I'll be fine, and I'll probably go ahead and buy one. It's just when I initially saw that, I was like, you know, it's awesome, but. I could do that for for less, but it's all it's all about time and everything. But it, you know, you, you attach a strap to it, you can wrap it around a tree, uh, the strap around a tree, uh, set it on a you know a banister or a shelf or something like that. That could work really well. See, I'm a sucker. I actually I own the first version oh, okay. that they have. Um, I've, I've never attached it to a tree or anything, but I just I haven't needed it yet. Oh. you know, I was I was with Nick Page and we were in uh, Detroit. Actually, no, we were in Canada because we went across the border, and so we were traveling there, uh, shooting back into Detroit, and there was a fence that was in the way, and I couldn't get my tripod over it, so he takes out his little platypod and sets it on the ground on the other side of the fence and set it up and was getting his shots. Nice. I'm like, ooh, I like that. Yeah. So uh, one last uh, tip could possibly be also using like a bean bag just to kind of help with security. Yep. You know, a lot of times people will use those if they're in a car to put a bean bag on the window. You roll the window down a little bit and set it on there. Um, you know, really a, a bean bag isn't going to necessarily help you get the shot in the position that you want when you're in a church like this. I think really one of the best ideas is just finding one of the columns to kind of lean against to, to get your shot. Yep, you bet. That, that kind of thing. The bean bags are great, but definitely it adds weight to your bag and uh, got to have something that you can certainly set it on. Church probably not going to provide that so much. Right, right. So the next question is from Andy Fingland. And they, they asked about, he asked about uh, keeping gear safe in the hotel room when you're out and about with family or maybe, you know, possibly at those business meetings or what have you, and you, you can't take all your gear with you. What do you do, Brian, when it's go- when it comes to, you know, you're, you're with the family, you're not out there for shooting, uh, solely for shooting, but you've got people to, to also go do some sightseeing with. And so maybe you don't bring all your gear with you or do you bring all your gear with you? What do you do? Well, I personally, I just suck it up and I bring all my gear with me. Because okay. if it's with you, you know where it is all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, however, there have been times where like maybe I didn't want to bring my computer with me. So one of the easiest things that you can do, other than just take everything with you, is just put the little do not disturb sign on. The way I see it is if I'm traveling, you know, it's my room. I can live with the filth and the messiness of it to where I don't need to have some maid service come in and make my bed for me or clean things up. You know, I honestly, I don't need to make the bed. I can just leave it and be fine. But putting that up, that's just, you know, it's one more barrier to just keep people from having a reason to come into the room. And then I will, you know, hide my laptop maybe under the mattress or 
find some other place to put it. Um, but that's just one easy thing to do is just put the, put on the little do not disturb sign. What about you? What do you do? Yeah. If, uh, if the maids are going to come in and you, you know, you do need it cleaned, let's say you're there for a week and you do need it that cleaned. Um, what I, what I usually will do because sometimes I'll leave my computer behind, uh, and sometimes my camera too, but I'll go ahead and pack everything up and just put it in the closet or do something, uh, where it's just hopefully out of sight, out of mind. And if it's not on the table, there's also a lot less risk, I think, too, because what's to keep the people from walking by the in the hallway from stopping by and t- taking a look in the room and, you know, the maid doesn't know who you are, so they could pretend that they are in this room. Oh, you know, I just <clears throat> forgot my computer, and they just grab it off the desk and they run. Well, if they can't see it, then they don't know where it is, and they'd have to be searching for it in, you know... Hopefully that would get flagged or something by the maid. Uh, so I don't think you have too much of a worry for the maids themselves stealing, but you know, just for everybody and out of sight, out of mind works really well uh, in that idea. I also have a device called uh, a pack safe. What it is is well, the pack safe is a company, and they make uh, very it's P A C S A F E. And they make various items uh, for valuables like this. And one of the things I use is a cable mesh bag. And it will wrap around your existing bag. And then you can anchor that to a fence or a bedpost or something else that's solid. Hopefully you can find that in your room. And while it's not perfect, you know, some cable cutters are going to easily get through it. How many people in hotels are walking around with cable cutters? So it's just one of those things you're likely reducing the the idea that it's going to be stolen i would still try and hide it though uh, you know i don't want it to be you know front and center hey here's valuables uh, kind of a thing i would still kind of stash it a little bit but if you can uh, put it in a pack safe or something like that that might work pretty well for you too mm-hmm. i know another option is to just take it to the front desk and check it in uh, but I, I think that's kind of risky. You know, I would say do that at your own risk, but then you know, okay, you're putting it in their responsibility and, you know, when you come back, hopefully you can get it back from them. Now, you can't guarantee that nothing's going to happen to behind there, but right. you know, other than just leaving it in your room, that is an option if you, if you feel safe about that. Now, one thing that I, I do have to say about that, I feel much more comfortable if the hotel staff has a, a number system and, and they, they write it down, they give you a little tab and you know you've got your claim ticket. Uh, because when they do that whole process, rather than just, oh yeah, leave it here, you know, just pick it up whenever. Again, who's going to keep someone from saying, oh, that black bag or that orange bag or whatever the case, that one's mine. Uh, you know, it could be really... Um, uh, loosey-goosey there. So I've stayed at some uh, La Quintas, uh, and they do this where they'll, they, it seems like they just are so used to it. Oh yeah, here's your, here's your bag. Here's your, um, your, your number and just give that to us when you come back. And then they got a whole room that's in a lock, uh, you know, locked room. And it's, it's nice when they formalize it like that. You have a little more faith in the process. Mm-hmm. And I would also say, just look into, you know, other places where maybe you could lock something up. If there's, you know, like a locker area that you can, if you have one of your locks from your bag or something that you can put on there for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I missed. Did you mention about the safes 
how you know most hotels they do have safes now they're not always yeah. big enough did you just mention that did i hear you say that or i, I no, or, i actually didn't say that uh it's something i had in the show notes you know a lot of times hotel rooms do have safes but they're usually big enough to hold two wallets and that's about all so it doesn't make sense to try and stick your computer in there you know you might get a camera in there but you're not going to get your whole bag and all your lenses so i just don't see those as being very useful so to me that goes back to just take it with you you know if it or or at least take what is most important to you with you right maybe you're like okay this lens if i had to do without i could do without this one um, you know, always making sure you have your memory cards on you and your camera body on at least one lens. So that way, if something happens, you know, you still have something to work with. Exactly. Now, just really quickly, since we're kind of talking about, you know, safety and all and the, and this could be a whole nother episode really, but what are some basic safety tips that you are intentional about when you're going to travel to a new area? Well, if I'm traveling internationally, I absolutely always have my passport on me personally. I don't put it in a bag uh, or in a pocket or anything like that in a bag. It's always uh, in my cargo pants. You know, I have a zipped uh, pocket for that, or I have a shirt that has a zipped or Velcro pocket. Uh, That's like the most important thing ever. So uh, as far as that is concerned, when it comes to money or when it comes to other things like that, it's just about... To me, anyway, it's about either going in numbers if you can. Uh, If you're solo, that's certainly another uh, item or another issue to think about. But really just constantly scanning your your surroundings and watching for people to come up and try and pickpocket you and that kind of a thing. Uh, What do you do with with money, though, uh, Brian, as as far as... um, Do you have cash on you when you travel internationally? Do you... Uh, rely solely on the uh, the ATMs to pull money out. How does how does that work for you? Uh, I usually have some cash just in case I I need it for a certain reason. Whether it's to you know if I'm in a situation where I need to bribe somebody, you know I've never right. had to, but if I had to, I I want to make sure that I am prepared for things. That's so right. So I've got cash usually, you know, American money because a lot of people like that around the world in most places. Um, but then I also have a little bit of cash uh, from whatever the currency is where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, going back to Rick Steves, he makes this. There's this little pouch. You know, it's not a fanny pack. Okay, so don't don't think of that. <laughs> but it's this little pouch that has um, actually two little like different color belts, like a brown and a black belt. So that way you can choose it to to match what you're wearing. And it's a, a real thin zipper pouch that can hold your passport and your wallet, and a little bit of change, and a few other things. And what you do is you take it, and then you flip it in, and kind of tuck it in where your underwear is. And nobody's going to be able to pickpocket you. Nobody can grab that, because they're going to have, you're going to have to suck in your gut, and they're going to have to reach their hand down in your pants, basically, in order to get that pouch out. And so I always have that pouch, and my passport is always on me right there. I always have some cash on me in that spot. Um, as well as, well, just between you and I and the listeners, I also put <laughs> some cash in my shoes, usually mm. underneath the uh, the insert. There you go. So, you know, it may be stinky at the end, and it may get a little wet, wet but money dries, but people don't normally check there. 
And I have found when you're traveling, people don't, as far as safety goes, people don't want to hurt you. They may want your stuff, but they don't want to hurt you, at least in most other countries. Yeah. So I think the more that you can be prepared and kind of spread things out, I think that's helpful, just having different spots where you put your money. Uh, But I think one of the main things to do is just know the scams ahead of time. Know what scams are popular in that area. Again, when I was uh, traveling to Europe, I was really concerned about it. And so Rick Steves, again, uh, had a whole bunch of scams. And he goes through and he talks about them. And it was hilarious because when I went through Italy and when I went through Paris, I saw them. And I'm like, wait, um, that's the scam. That's really working. <laughs> and I, I almost wanted to yell and be like, hey, they're scamming you. They're scamming you. But there, I saw it was a scam where it's at the bottom of, um, uh, where was it? Uh, it? It was in Paris. And there's uh, this, it's at the bottom of like an escalator thing that you go up. And I can't think of the name of the building. Have you been to Paris? I have. What's the so, famous white, um, is it Saint something? No. Uh, there's. Not that Eiffel Tower thingy. I know what that is. The Eiffel Tower thingy. That's nice. Yeah, it's not that. There, there's also the Lac de Triomphe. There's nope, uh, the Louvre. Not that. Not that. Uh, it's got like a white dome and it's got like some um, uh, blue horses with people on it. Uh, some listener right now is totally making fun of me. Anyways, okay, that's besides the point. So at the bottom of, because you can kind of take this little escalator thing up or a bunch of steps. At the bottom of it, um, there's the scam where they will people will come up to you and they'll start to tr- to uh, tie a bracelet onto your wrist. And normally you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or they'll try to do it to your girlfriend or whatever or your wife. But the way they tie it on is it's tied in a knot that you can't untie it and you can't slip it off. And so when you go to do that, they want you to pay. And if mm. you don't pay, supposedly they're going to throw a fit. And so... That's not cool. No. So I heard about that and I'm looking around and I saw at least five people tying onto people's wrist. And you see these naive people just laughing, you know, like I I wanted to say something, but I'm like, well, for my own safety, I probably shouldn't say anything. (laughs) And maybe it was just a couple of dollars. So maybe it's worth it. You know, maybe they're really nice, really nice bracelets. But, um, but one of my favorite things to do, and this may sound silly, is have a fake wallet. So I now that's a, that's an interesting idea. I've never never mm-hmm. thought of this one. Well, I got this when I went to uh, Central and South America to um, have this fake wallet where I had some currency from other countries, but it ended up being like less than a dollar or, or two in the wallet, and I put in like some old you know gift cards and everything, and the wallet was in my pocket. But again, all my money and everything else is in that little pouch that's tucked in you know inside my pants, pretty much. So the purpose of the wallet was if somebody were to come up to me and that's basically what they want, I could take the wallet out and throw it one direction and I could run the other direction. Yeah. So, uh, or whatever, hand it to them, throw it. It, it all it, well, it works. Yeah, but you hand it to them, they're going to look at it and probably see it's not very much. So you uh, that's take that's it a good Toss good it away as a, as a distraction. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but I've also heard people talking about just making your camera look look trashy (laughs) so they'll put duct tape on their camera to make it look like it's you know broken or a little bit older have you heard about that i have not that's interesting so basically they're holding it together with duct tape or whatever 
Well, that's the look that's the idea. to get across. Yeah. Right. Is that, oh, you know, this isn't a fancy camera because, look, it has duct tape on it. That's hilarious. But, and then, obviously, you just you want to have your pictures backed up. You know, for me, as soon as I get back to my room, I upload pictures onto my computer. Usually, the internet has been too poor where I've been to upload it to the cloud. But then I'll take the memory card, you know, and I'll have the pictures will be on my computer. I'll also put the pictures on an external hard drive that will go into a different bag. Mm-hmm. And then I keep the memory cards inside that little pouch where my passport and my wallet and some of my real money is. Awesome. So, yeah, so those are my tips. I know I kind of went off on those. Sorry. It's all about, you know, we started this one, keeping gear safe in the hotel room when you're out and about with family. And we just went on into all these other good things. Hopefully that's going to be useful for for listeners. And if not, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always want to be safe. You do, so. yes. And and honestly, your life is more important than everything else. So Absolutely. You know, give them whatever you need to in order to, to get away. Yes. Good stuff. Yeah. So the next one... Uh, kind of all, maybe along the same lines that could be wrapped into safety as well, and that is minimizing costs while traveling. So maybe you can travel more often. This is submitted by Ryan Field- Fiedler. So I don't know about you, Brian, but when I'm in certain locations anyway, I love staying with locals, uh, whether you're using Airbnb or just kind of looking for the signs that say rooms available. Have you ever done that? I have I, I have used Airbnb, yes, but I've never just looked for rooms available. Okay. In uh, several years ago, when I was in Croatia, uh, I I spent in total. This includes airfare and everything, less than seventeen hundred dollars for two weeks on a pure photography journey. It was awesome, and it was just me, so I was all solo. And I was reading about in the guidebook about these uh, private accommodations. You just get off the ferry or you get off the bus and there's these people there that have rooms for rent. And I was like, that's so crazy. But that's how I went. No itinerary. I just went and got a room on the spot. And it was a great way to travel if you can handle that. I know a lot of people can't handle that kind of idea. Uh Uh-uh. I couldn't do that. It was great. You should do it. I recommend it for everybody. I'm sure there's so many scams, though, with that same concept of the people standing right next to them. And, you know, you just got to make sure you pick the right person. So if they have maps and they have... The the thing that I started going for was if it's an old lady, like, you know, my grandma's age, and she's got a map and pictures, it's probably okay. And one time, that's who the sales lady was. But when I got into the car to go to the place, uh, there was this teenage gal. She was probably 14 or 15. She was the one in the family that spoke English. And so I just got in the car with them and went up the hill, and it was great. There was actually absolutely no problems. Uh, but I could see, you know, it could be a problem for some people, uh, not wanting to put that much faith in a stranger like that. Yeah, well, especially getting into a stranger's car. You know, yep. I've always heard whenever you're traveling, the last thing you want to do is get in someone's car, you know, unless, well, you, unless you know them. I'm guilty of a, a couple of times because I've, I've done that. Uh, let's see, it was just outside of Geneva in on the France side of the border. We were we did some hitchhiking, but I was with a group on that one. Uh, but 
Yeah, that's you can get pretty good rates though that way. Uh, so if the idea is about saving money, uh, there was only one time where I got in the car like that. Usually it's just a quick walk, and you know you're in a very public venue because you just got off the bus or you just got off the ferry, whatever the case is. So you're in a very public venue. So in that regard, is a little bit of that safety factor going into it. Um, in Poland, just this last summer, I spent fifty bucks a night for an apartment that's about a thousand square feet so that's pretty nice yeah and it was right how'd you come across that how'd you find it well i was there uh with my father and we had just we had agreed on a couple of evenings a couple of um midway points where we wouldn't make reservations because he was like you're crazy son and i was like i know but we're gonna still do it um and so we had just finished up with the museum at Auschwitz, and we were needing to drive into Krakow. And we started calling. It was Thursday night. And I was like, you know, Dad, this is really not going to go so well because it's Thursday. We're looking for a weekend. So I just hopped over to my Airbnb app, tapped a few buttons, saw that it was right on a, a bus line. I was like, let's do it. 50 bucks a night, it was hard to go wrong. And uh, it was fantastic, really nice. What about couch surfing? Would you ever do that? That's a little tough. I don't think I would do that. Describe for us, though, so the listeners understand what you mean by couch surfing. So couch surfing is where you basically you get online and you can find out ahead of time these people that are involved in it, where you just go and you meet people who are locals and you just you literally kind of sleep on a couch or, you know, sometimes... Uh, they, they may have a room as well, um, usually for free as well. And it just allows you to just, you know, meet new people and all. But yet you do need to be kind of a, well, not kind of, you need to be careful when you do that because they are strangers. But um, there's an app called Couchsurfing Travel and you can get on there and kind of see, you know, who's willing to open their place to that. And it's, it's a great way to uh, meet people. It's a great way to save money. Um, and also, you know, from those people, those are the locals and you can find out kind of some areas they enjoy and in a way have somebody to hang out with if you need to. Yeah. That's the kind of thing where I would have to really be convinced that my photos are going to really be enhanced by their knowledge. And so if, if for some reason it worked out and I could tell that they were willing to take me out and they had some really good info about some places, I don't know. I still have a tough time doing that. I, I put that in the same category as a hostel. I don't mind hostels so long as they have private rooms, but I really, I do like my private room. Mm-hmm. And I've stayed in hostels before where hostels that had private rooms. I keep hearing about how, it, you know, all these young people in hostels are usually loud and noisy and, yeah. you know, there are safety things with those, but good hostels will have, um, like lockers that you can lock your stuff in at the end of the beds or whatever. And, right. Um, they, they tend to be reputable and you can kind of figure out, okay, this should be a good safe one to stay at and so forth. But, okay. So other than where you're going, what your accommodations are going to be, uh, what are some other ways that you have found to save money? So when I was in Chile, uh, I had, it's a very long country, you know, 4,000 miles from south, north to south. And so there was lots of long bus trips, and I would do this looking elsewhere too. Uh, what I ended up doing was I spent a little more money on the bus fare uh, 
and I chose to leave at about 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night or whatever the case is and just take the overnight bus. So I'm out there shooting. I get some night shots and then we make it to the bus station and then we're gone and then we wake up at the next location and you're out shooting again with hardly any downtime. I actually did that uh, where we got a 1 a.m. bus and it was a little bit embarrassing because we had left our bags, you know, our clothes and such. We had our cameras with us, but we left our bags with the hotel we were staying in. Actually, it was more of a hostel. And we had just gone on this uh, excursion up to look at the stars from a um, an observatory. And so I got my nighttime shots, star trails, and we got back into town at about 1230. The bus was leaving at like 1 a.m. And we had to knock on the door and wake up that poor lady so we could get our bags <laughs> she was she was okay. Uh, we got our bags and we got on the bus. Almost instantly fell asleep, and then we wake up roughly six hours, eight hours later, whatever the case was, in a new town. Back at it again, just hitting that and um, getting more pictures going. And what's great about that is you didn't have to spend money for a hotel for a night. Exactly. You know, that, you're gonna, so you're, you're gonna. You're going to pay for the transportation anyway, so this right. way you're sleeping for free, basically. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that's great. It may not be the most comfortable of, of well, rest, but... in these, it was like a huge uh, Lazy Boy chair. So, they were double-decker buses, and we were on the bottom deck, and they were very comfortable. We slept very well. It was nice. So, it wasn't a chicken bus? Definitely not a chicken bus. Mm. Have no. you been on a chicken bus before? I've been on things very similar to chicken buses, but... Um, Explain for the listeners why they call it a chicken bus. Well, there's oftentimes literally chickens on the bus, <laughs> and they um, pack them like crazy. Uh, so when I was in India, that's where I uh, would see them the, the most, but I, we often had our own rental vehicle when we were in India. Uh, but you, I was at least you know very familiar with them. I've definitely seen them seen them in South America as well. So it's just not something I've um, done myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had the option when I was in Central America, there were five countries I had to travel between and transportation was fairly cheap if I was going to you know take take a chicken bus, take a bus or some type of vehicle. Uh, I ended up flying from place to place which in a way, it was a headache, and at times it almost took longer. But just for safety-wise, I was informed by some of the locals that that was probably one of the better things that I that I should do was to fly. Um, so I didn't get to do a chicken bus, but I did get to see them, and uh, I, I did see some animals going onto them with with the people. So that's that's kind of crazy. Yeah. But, <laughs> so another thing that I know that is a good way to just save some money other than, you know, with transportation like that. It's just the food that you spend money on. A lot of times, absolutely. A lot of times you go into, you know, a restaurant and, and they tend to have two menus. They have the menu for a local and they have a menu for a, a visitor. And at times, depending on where you're at, the prices could be a little bit higher on your menu. Um, that's some experience that I've had, Hmm. but it's better to just go into a grocery store, you know, and, and just buy buy some simple food from there. Save some money that way, right? I completely agree. And you can have food with you on the go that way. Or maybe I should just say snacks with you. 
but that is really the best way I think if you're on a dedicated photo trip I think that's the best way to go because you can get you can still get really nutritious food but you're going to also just get it for much cheaper uh you know standing there at the counter you know they're buying cheese let's say they're used to cutting several slices because people are bringing it home they're putting it in their fridge or whatever and i'm just like well uh give me three slices you know and the lady looks at you silly because that costs you know all 13 cents hmm. but that's all you need otherwise it's going to go bad uh you know it's it's not i don't it's still not a big deal i certainly don't feel bad doing it uh it's it's a good experience anyway but it just keeps you moving too, and it keeps you out there shooting uh, for more time. Mm-hmm. And there are other ways that you can save money, and also you know ways that you can kind of get your trip even pay, your trips even paid for. And we'll uh, we'll have to talk about that in another episode. But uh, Brent, as we uh, get ready to go here, why don't you share with us what is your dream destination of the week? My dream destination this week is a place called Isle Royale National Park. It is an island in Lake Superior that is a national park. It's part of the state of Michigan, so it's in the Upper Peninsula area of Michigan, but actually it's a little bit closer to Canada. Uh, But anyway, it's just a great place for backpacking, uh, kayaking, and just all sorts of fun, rustic-type experience, uh, you know, get out there and enjoy the wilderness kind of a thing. Uh, I do enjoy the backpacking idea. I enjoy camping. And all of the types of uh, nature-type shots that you could get in a place like that would be phenomenal, I think. Now, have you been to this area at all? I have not. It's just been one of those dream places. It's just like, man, if I could ever get even halfway to back east, that'd be pretty sweet to be able to go up there. But this is a destination you're definitely going there to go there because you can only get there by boat. It's a national park. It's highly regulated. And... It would be a great place to go, don't get me wrong. It's just, you know, that's your purpose for going. It's not something you would stop off along the way sort of thing. Yeah, and it's right up there close to the border to Ontario. And actually, when you're up there, you're further north than a large percentage of Canadians are. And that's you're still, yeah you're still in the that's u.s right. that's right There's a little little uh history for you there a little tidbit of info yeah yeah supposedly i think it's like 80 percent. i think of canadians all live within 100 miles of the u.s border i don't doubt it something along those lines well this is a spot that i need to go you know michigan is the mitten right above indiana Right. And up in the UP, I've been there, but it was a long time ago, and it was before I even knew how to use my camera. But uh, I, I know that there are some waterfalls up there and some beautiful places. So hey, if there's any listeners out there that live in Michigan, reach out to me, and let's see if we can get a, a shoot scheduled up there sometime. That'd be that'd awesome. Be and then we'll have to get Brent to join us. Uh, it, you know, it just might happen. You never know the, sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's been on my list long enough. And then maybe head over to Mackinac Island. That's another place I'd like to go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my destination is probably one that everyone would love to go to or has been to. And that's honestly, I'm not trying, I don't want to be too selfish, but it's basically anywhere in Hawaii, specifically Maui, um, just around that that area. And Obviously, you've, you probably have seen pictures of it and just how beautiful it is. And I believe Jurassic Park was shot there as well as a handful of other movies have used parts of it. But uh, that is definitely on my list of places to go. 
And I know, uh, I think Nick and Majid, uh, Nick Page from the Tripod um, podcast, they have done a workshop there and are they, doing some more, right? They go, they go to Kauai. Kauai, is, is that where they go? Yeah, okay. I think that's where they go. Well, hey, like be- I said, I'm not picky, so that would oh, be great. Maui is awesome. I've actually been there. And you have everything from a 10,000-foot volcano to the the surfing uh, on the beach. Uh, I mean, it's just, there's so many things there. Botanical gardens there, uh, it's just awesome. You, you cannot go wrong on Maui. All right. So, yeah, Hawaii. Hawaii is my uh, dream destination. Yep. Good place. For the week. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us. This was uh, fun going through some of the questions that you guys have, and hopefully you will have more. And again, please reach out to us and join our uh, Facebook group so that way you can share some questions that you guys have, and we can answer those to the best of our ability. Yeah. So, uh, Brent, hey, this was fun. Thanks for joining. Yeah, this was great. Lots Lots of fun here. Yeah, looking forward to uh, some new episodes. And I believe that the next time we're going to be doing episode three, which maybe you've already listened to it by now, or or does that make sense? How could you listen to it yeah. by now? If, if they're going, being, if, if in, they're the going future, in reverse, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that maybe, no, I don't know. Maybe that could be. Oh, well. Anyways, I think the next one we're doing is going to be live in Arizona, right? That's correct. In Phoenix, Arizona at the Improved Photography Retreat. We are going to be there Thursday morning and recording live. So if you're listening to this before that then and you're going, then of course you can plan to be there. If you are listening to this after that, well, you missed out and it was a lot of fun. And um, maybe you can join us next time. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, listeners, thanks again for joining us, and we'll look forward to being with you next time. See you later.